Anybody like busy this time of year? It's the most wonderful time, right? It's busy. Most of us know that we own too much stuff. We feel the weight and the burden of our clutter. We tire of cleaning and managing and organizing. Our toy rooms are messy. Our drawers don't close. Our closets are filled from top to bottom. The evidence of clutter is all around us. And today, Data is consistently being collected about our homes, our shopping habits, and our spending, whether we want them to be or not. The research is confirming our observation. We own too much stuff, and it's robbing us of joy in our life. Here's some interesting statistics. The average American home has 300,000 items. The average size of the American home has nearly tripled over the past 50 years. And still, one out of every 10 Americans rent off-site storage, the fastest-growing segment of the commercial real estate industry over the past four decades. While 25% of people with two-car garages don't have room to park cars inside them, and only 32% have room for one vehicle, the U.S. has upward of 50,000 storage facilities, more than five times the number of Starbucks. Currently, there is 7.3 square feet of self-storage for every man, woman, and child in the nation. Thus, it is physically possible that every American could stand all at the same time under the total canopy of self-storage roofing. 3.1% of the world's children children live in America, but they own 40% of the toys consumed globally. And the list goes on. This is uh, an excerpt from an article by uh, a guy named Joshua Becker. We live in a culture of overconsumption where we can feel the pressure for more. More stuff, more money, more opportunities for our kids, more hobbies, all creating more busyness and discontentment discontentment and struggle. None of these things necessarily in and of themselves are wrong or sinful, but when they begin to invade the crevices of the margin in our life, and begin to overtake our thoughts in a way that pulls away from Jesus, things can get out of balance real quick. We talked about this last week, but our enemy does not want us as followers of Jesus to be effective, to be productive in our witness, to be making an eternal impact. And so we find ourselves being distracted Even many of the churches in America feel this worldly temptation, catering to a consumeristic society. We feel the pressure to create an engaging and an entertaining 60-minute production on a Sunday morning for, for an audience to come and consume. But that's not how... Jesus set up the church, and that's not how God intends it. As his followers, we're called to be not 
just consumers, but also producers or workers in his harvest. We consume, but we consume for the sake of growth in our lives so that we can live as Christ would have us live, as his ambassadors on this earth. Amen? Amen. We as imperfect humans are often needing to refocus our attention and our affections on Jesus. This goes for you and it goes for me big time. We have to focus on why he came, what Christmas is about, what Easter is about, what the cross was for, what it means to be reconciled to God, what it means for us to have turned from our sins and turned to Jesus and receive forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. Advent is the perfect time to do that. Other than it being considered, like I sort of sang, the most wonderful time of the year, it is often the absolute most, most busy time of the year. And a time when we can feel the most pressure from our society, from advertisements, from work, from friends, and even maybe from our families. Things that might pull us away from or distract us from the true meaning of Christmas and the Advent season. I just screenshotted this off of Google, but Advent, the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. The coming or the second coming of Jesus. Advent comes from a Latin word, and it's wrapped in descriptors like anticipation, preparation, expectation, and like Peyton and Jazz reminded us this morning, hope. During Advent, we prepare our hearts to remember and reflect on the wonder of God incarnate, coming to live among us in human flesh. That's what incarnate means. Jesus took on bodily form. But as Christians, like it says up on the bottom there, as Christians, we also look forward to Christ's second advent, his second coming. Like we were reminded from the girls this morning, he didn't, when he didn't come as a baby, as a humble servant, born to live so that none of us may die, born to give second life, but he will return one day as a king, as a conquering king. And that is something that we need to cultivate and make room for in our minds and in our hearts, not just this Advent season, but I think this is a, is a great launching point for us. So easily we get distracted and aren't intentional to make room for this reality in our everyday lives. But in fact, it should be the motivator for all that we do. So today, we're kicking off a series called Make Room, and over the course of the next four weeks, we are going to be looking at what does it mean to make room in our lives for a different thing. And today, we're focusing on what does it mean to make room for Christ or make room for Jesus. Advent's a perfect time to do it, like I said. And so today, I'm going to walk us through four very practical things. We're going to model these in our time of worship today. We're going to participate in this together. And these are things that we don't need to simply just come to the church gathering on Sunday to participate in these, but these are things that we're going to be able to do in our daily lives this Advent season. You guys good with that? All right, cool, cool. I'm glad because I was going to tell them to you anyways. So, So how do we make room for Christ There's four ways that we're going to focus on. The first one is by 
making actual space. We prepare room in our life to remember and to reflect on Jesus. We sang about it this morning. Well, we've actually done this here in our worship space. We've made the room. We've prepared the room to remind us of Jesus. Liz and her little elves uh, worked uh, tirelessly over the course of the last couple weeks to design these candles. Lots of candles. What's the candle symbolize? It can symbolize a few things, probably, right? A light coming into the darkness. Jesus coming as a light, as we read in Isaiah. Um, For us as followers of Jesus, he says, you are the light of the world. A, A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Cool. But then what will they do? They will glorify our Father in heaven. So these candles are a reminder that the light has come and that in a supernatural way that is hard for us to comprehend, we as followers of Jesus receive the Holy Spirit within us. So we create space. There's space that's been created even in the hallways that remind us that there's something different about this season And we're going to cultivate that spirit of hope and that spirit of anticipation. We set aside time. So in making room, making actual space, we are maybe in our homes. Maybe we have our Christmas tree and we can think of the lights on that tree and remember that the light has come. And there's just something beautiful about looking at a Christmas tree. Or maybe like in our home, we have a manger scene set up uh, that that I got from a friend when I I visited him in Kenya uh, years ago. And we look at that as a family. And if we're intentional about it, um, there's just a wonder and a beauty to think about what it meant for Jesus to come as a little baby. And it draws us to worship. So we set aside time here on Sunday mornings. Everybody's maybe put this on their calendar, or you just know Sunday at 9.30, I'm gathering with my church, which is awesome. But maybe in your home, as an individual, you can set aside time, that you can put time on your calendar every day this month, make actual space to think about what Jesus has done in coming And what it means that he comes again and how that affects the way that we live as followers of Jesus. Making the most of every opportunity, the scripture says. And then another thing that we like to do when we make actual space is we remove distractions. How many of you get distracted by electronic devices? Like your phone, right? I get so distracted by my phone. I get so annoyed at myself. And so even today, I left it somewhere. And I'm like, cool, I don't know where it is. Um, Because I get distracted by it. Even when, like, I'm up here talking to everybody here, all right? There's so many things that can distract us that we remove um, from that time when we make that time and that space to be with the Lord and to cultivate that spirit of hope. So maybe there's distractions, maybe there's lists or electronics, or maybe you have little kids and you need to, like, be creative on when you have that time and space. Um, But I want to encourage you to do that. And then, like I mentioned with the, with the candles and the manger, we also might add something to that space. Add something to that space that helps us direct our focus on the Lord. 
All right, our second thing, so we make actual space, and our second thing is we open the Bible and we cultivate a spirit of hope. So we just open the Bible and we read it. We're going to do that now. You can go to Isaiah 9. Uh, we're going to look at this uh, scripture that, that Jazz read earlier for us. Isaiah 9, you can turn or click there. There's Bibles in the seats in front of most of you. Old Testament, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. If you've gone to Jeremiah, you've gone a little too far. <laughs> Let's read this. This is incredible prophecy, a foretelling of the Messiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Go down to verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government, and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen? So we open the word of God, and we're reminded of his promises. I love the word will. Like, you will do this, right? Like, there's an assurance there. Just like in the hope of, of God, in the hope of Christ, there is an assurance, a promise that God makes that we can hold on to. But just anybody, did anything stand out to you, maybe a, a descriptor of the Messiah, anything stand out to you in that scripture that was just like, wow, I love that? Anybody, just shout it out. I know, this is different. Come on. Wonderful counselor. Hmm. Ooh, yeah. Hmm. Prince of Peace. As I was reading this scripture this week in preparation, a word stuck out to me that I don't think has stuck out to me before, and it was the word government. <laughs> government. Have you ever thought about what it means to be governed by God or to sit under his rule? It's a powerful thing to think about. The government, what did it say? Will be on his shoulders, and then it goes down verse 7. The greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. Ha, amen, huh? Aren't we looking forward to that? But what does it mean for us right now as followers of Jesus to be governed by or to sit under the authority of God? There's this guy, his name is Gail Irwin, and he writes about the government that God promises both ultimately and right now. And I'm going to read this for us just to cultivate that spirit of hope, all right? And this is something, guys, I'm telling you, any one of us can do. All right, we can open the Bible, we can Google search um, scriptures about Jesus, scriptures about Advent, and then we can do a little word study on our own, huh? 
and we can grow, and we can cultivate this spirit of hope, and that's what we're doing right now. So Gail writes, what might such a government look like? First of all, it would look like it's king. Many politicians of this day look for what they can get from you, but Jesus looks for what he can do for you. Leaders of this day surround themselves with servants. Jesus surrounds us with his servanthood. Leaders of this day use their power to build their empire. Jesus uses his power to wash our feet and make us clean and comfortable. Leaders of this day trade their influence for money. But God so loved the world that he gave. The higher the plane of importance one reaches in this world, the more inaccessible they become. But Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. Leaders of this day are desperate to be seen and heard, but Jesus sought anonymity so he could be useful. Obviously, Jesus is not in charge physically of the halls of Washington, London, Moscow, Baghdad, Paris, or Bonn. So how can we ever believe that the government will be on his shoulders? Erwin writes, actually, his government shows it's working in wonderful ways. Whenever I see someone who miraculously leaves a life of drugs or alcohol and is restored to his family and work, I can see that he is now governed by God. Whenever I see loving Christians gently caring for orphans and those rejected by family, I know I am watching people governed by God. Whenever I see people people eagerly learning the Bible and joyously praising, I I know who their governor is. When I see people give up lucrative careers simply to go and share the good news of Jesus, I know they are governed by God. When I see pastors carefully teach and lead the flock God has given them, I know they are getting signals from the great king. When I see people leave family to live and teach in distant lands because they love the people who have not yet heard I know they are governed by God. And as evidenced by those examples, God's government is alive. And it is working. All right, so we don't need to just be in these seats here to open our Bible and to cultivate a spirit of hope. Hmm. So we make room in our lives for Jesus through setting aside actual time and space, opening the Bible, And the third thing is, we pray. Everybody say, we pray. Oh, man, such simple instruction. And yet us, in our flesh and in our busyness and in our pride and in our distractions, oftentimes we do not do this the way that we know we should and that would be beneficial, not just for ourselves but for others around us. So we give thanks to God through prayer this Advent season. We give thanks to God for sending Jesus. We praise God for his character. We praise him for his love, and we praise him for his mercy. We praise him for his care. We praise him for his faithfulness. We praise him for his rescue mission. We pray scriptures. We're going to do that in a second. We open the word of God. We read it, and we thank him for it, and we praise him for it. 
We have some great resources if anybody's interested in praying the scriptures over yourself or praying the scriptures over certain situations or as parents, praying the scriptures over your children. If anybody's interested in those, let me know after our time of worship today, and uh, I'd love to, to get you that. We confess to God in prayer that we miss the mark, that we fall short, and then we thank him for his forgiveness and his mercy in our lives. We ask him to give us a renewed mind in prayer, a renewed perspective, and a fresh passion for the things that matter to him. Things like what we were reminded of last week in 2 Peter, adding to our faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. We're going to take a moment here to just pray together. I'm going to pick on some of you um, to pray. And I know we, we don't do stuff like this too often, but hey, it's a new, it's a new time. All right? And we're, we're a church family. We're a body. And uh, um, hearing one another pray, um, just even a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, for, for Advent season. Thank you for cultivating a spirit of hope in me. Or a prayer of just thanking God for his mercy. Or thanking God for this uh, body of believers and for our community. Um, those things um, draw us near to the Lord, and his word promises that he draws near to us. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'll take, kick it off, and then I'm just going to hand the mic to a couple people. All right? Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Let's cultivate this spirit of, of hope and expectation. Lord God, your word says that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So, Lord, this morning, we as individuals want to hope in you. We want to place our hope in you. Lord, thank you that you hear us, that you long for us to come to you in prayer. Lord, thank you just for our time right now. God, we all need you. Each and every one of us here needs a Savior. Each and every one of us needs a teacher. Each and every one of us here has fears and, and failures and hopes and dreams. God, may they turn to you and may you hear their prayers and may you lift them up in your spirit. Thank you, Dave. God, thank you for this season that we get to just remember that you were born, that you um, came into this world to perform a miracle, to do um, one thing that while we were sinners that you died for us. Um, and that even though we remember the time that you were born, that we remember the time that you uh, gave your life for us, Lord. And we are just thankful that we get to just have that, um, that trust, that, um, that we believe in you, that we will have eternal life, Lord. And I just pray that during the season that those things are not forgotten, that in just the, the busyness, the, the craziness of the season, that we were, are still reminded that um, you came here to love us, that you came here to die for us, and that, um, that you just want to be 
with us, Lord. God, help us to um, make room not only in our homes physically, but in our schedules too. Talk about how busy we are and help us to just prioritize those opportunities and go into those opportunities with intentionality, whether it be during our work day or our evenings at home around the dinner table or with friends or family. Just help us to make sure that we are looking for those little nudges from you on when to speak or um, who to talk to and what to say and help us to just be open in our hearts and our minds to what you need us to do and what you want us to know. Lord, we thank you for this community that we can learn from and this group governed by the Lord that helps us to learn what you need us to do and call us to provide you with glory. Lord, we just thank you for your grace. Um, we just thank you for loving all of us, no matter how broken or lost we are, you come to us. And we just thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whew, that was, that was awesome. Hmm. So we make actual space and time. We, what's our second one? Who remembers? Oh, yes. We read the Bible. We open it. We cultivate that spirit of hope and expectation. We pray and forth and finally, we've done it already in many different aspects, but we worship. We worship. And worship is a life lived for God. But often we express our worship to God through music, which we've done, and we're going to do that in a little bit. And we also observe communion together, which we're also going to do. You can do this as a family, you can do this in your small group, you can do this with, with a Bible study, um, with just another person together. It doesn't have to just be reserved for the first Sunday of the month at our local church. We remember through this why Jesus came, what that means for us, and why we participate in communion. Now, communion is reserved for followers of Jesus Christ. The Bible makes that clear. Um, but we practice here at Living Stones in what we call open communion. The, the table is open for all who believe, not just uh, people who come here regularly, uh, but for all believers. And Paul, the writer of the book of 1 Corinthians, he lays out a proper pattern for us as Christians in how we too are to partake, which is the churchy word, or participate or join in in this observance. Jesus instituted communion or the Lord's Supper to commemorate his death, to symbolize the new covenant of the promise that Jesus' blood was the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and that through that only 
we have reconciliation. We are made right before a perfect God. And it points us also to the future hope of the wedding feast, the return of the king to his bride, the church, when he comes again. So if you have your Bibles and you'd like to, we are going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. Believe it or not, it's right before 2 Corinthians, towards the end of your Bible. That's my little helper note there. It'll also be up on the screen. We're just going to go into this time together, all right? Um, we're going to worship together. We're going to remember and reflect and celebrate the weight of what Jesus did for us on that cross through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And, and then we're going to respond with singing. All right. <laughs> I've been talking. I didn't even go there. starting at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, the new promise do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many of you are weak and sick. Paul's writing to this, the church in Corinth. And a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Powerful words. To not do this, you know, lack of it, like haphazardly, flippantly, but to really remember um, and, and to think about the sacrifice that our Lord made. This happened because Jesus was born first as a baby. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. We're going to spend just a moment in, in quiet. Um, Sherry, you can play the piano. Um, but we're going to just spend a moment reflecting on if there's anything in our lives that is um, a, a sin, something that's getting in the way of our relationship with God, that silently we can just come before the Lord and confess that. We can ask for him to forgive us and we can be cleansed of that. That's something that we do, whether, whether it's the first time as, a, as like someone who's placing their faith in Jesus and surrendering their life to, to him. And it's also something that we need to regularly do and cultivate as followers of Jesus because we blow it, guys. We mess up and we fall short regularly. So maybe there's something in your life that you need to just confess to the Lord. Maybe it's... Um, sin that you've struggled with for a while. You just need to come clean with the Lord. He already knows, but he, he says, repent and turn to me and your sins will be wiped away and times of refreshing will come. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that just is hard. Um, a person that you want to reconcile with and maybe they don't care to. The Bible says as, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everybody. He's saying, 
God's word saying, do your part. Take the initiative to seek to reconcile. And I believe that God honors that. Even if you don't receive forgiveness from that person, even if you don't receive reconciliation, God says to do that. So maybe that's something that you can think about. That is something that we should think about this week. Let's just take a moment here quiet, and then once, uh, once we start singing, once the band starts singing together, uh, you can come to the tables up here or in the back.